Hey guys, welcome back to Caffeine and Crime. Today we have Season 3, Episode 8. And this is more than likely going to be a two-parter, maybe three-parter. I'm going to try to get it done in two episodes and then maybe finish out this season with one other case um, before doing like a wrap-up. And then, of course, getting into spooky season, which you guys will be hearing about very soon. Today's case is going to be all about the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell fiasco, and if you enjoy the true crime world and you keep up with it, then you already know about this case because it was everywhere, but today and next week at least, maybe the week after, depends on how much I get done on this, <laughs> how long it takes me to get through it because it is very long and drawn out and I don't want to miss anything. I want to make sure I cover all the bases here. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about a little bit of the timeline um, leading up to the children missing, as you guys may already know. First, I'm going to grab some coffee. got to get that caffeine and hear a word about today's sponsor, and then we'll be back to discuss the crime. Oh, Lori Vallow. Man, this woman. Lori Vallow was a popular student. She loved being center of attention. She was a cheerleader at her high school, got good grades, was very um, involved like with the Mormon religion, and would show up to school even early every single day for the a church like little meeting thing. She was very involved with it and enjoyed her religion. Her friends did state that it was like any other religion out there. She was very passionate about it, but it wasn't something very crazy and out there and what it would become in the future as we will see as this continues. Now, Lori did go down the line of men, and her first husband she met through high school. It, he was the grade below her. They got married. The marriage didn't last very long. This was like in 1992. And then by 1995, she had met someone else and was with him. The marriage does not last either, but she did have a son with that husband, and his name was Colby. Or is Colby. Colby um, has been like on a Dateline talk show. Um, they did a whole special episode on this case. It was like a two-hour ordeal. If you do want to watch it, I will be talking about some of it, but a lot of the info is already here as well as other true crime documentaries and podcasts, whatever you watch. Colby says between the time that his mom and dad split to the time where she got remarried to Joseph Ryan was a really hard time. Lori was a single mom juggling things and trying to make the best of it. And it was a really hard time. They really relied on each other. He kind of felt the pressure of having to be his mom's person and make sure she was okay too. I know this all too well from my own life and what I grew up with, so I can relate to that on so many levels, um, so I can relate to how much pressure that was on him. Lori met and married her third husband, Joseph Anthony Ryan Jr., who went by Joe, in 2001. Joe adopted Lori's son, Colby, who, like I mentioned, she had in her previous marriage, 
and they moved into a $710,000 mansion in 2002 in Texas. By the way, there is a lot of states, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of names in this case, so just try to bear with me. (laughs) This place was huge, though. The same year, they had Tylee, their daughter. So Colby claimed in the Dateline special, Um, that Joe was physically and sexually abusing him as a child and he didn't tell his mother at first because he knew it would tear her up. I know some people have speculated about this. I feel like from my own personal experience that I can kind of see where he is coming from Um, and knowing like when your parent remarries, they kind of put that person over, in most cases anyways, they put that person over their children I don't know if it was that type of ordeal or not, but from personal experience, that's what it was for me. When he eventually told her, he said that she was devastated, and she has said that she did report it. It was a nine-month ordeal investigation that took place, and during that time, Joe wasn't allowed to see Colby or even his own daughter, Tylee. He cooperated fully, though, and eventually all charges were dropped when all of Kobe's stories either didn't add up or, like, I guess the story would change a little bit. I don't know. I don't have all the info on it. Joe and Lori did eventually file for divorce in 2004. I'm not sure if it was about this or if it was all of the financial issues that they had because let me tell you. Lori stayed in this ginormous house and was in an insane amount of debt. This is the first time where we kind of see Lori's religion and her relation that she says she has with her God. For the divorce, she tells Joe that God told her she was going to be on Will of Fortune. And she's on Will of Fortune and wins $17,000. But... She didn't tell Joe she was going to be on it until it actually happened. And then she's like, yeah, God told me I was going to be on it. And then I was on it. And you'll kind of see a pattern of this as we go on. Not only did she owe a shit done on this huge house, but she also owed on her Chevy Tahoe. She owed on back taxes, like over $100,000. And also she had racked up several credit cards, some in which that were in Joe's name, and even racked up thousands of dollars at Target. Joe's name ends up being on a lot of these, and we're not I'm not 100% sure, but this might be why he filed for bankruptcy in 2005. Things were not easy for Joe and Lori, and Lori now being in this huge-ass house, being a hairdresser and a single mom, was struggling, so she fought him for alimony, and even with him paying alimony, like, it just was not enough to survive. So the tension around them, I mean, you guys can probably see, like, how thick that probably was. Um, and that's where we have the first, like, altercation, I guess you could call it, where they met at a public place because they had to meet at public places to exchange their kids. <laughs> Been there, done that with my parents as well. So uh, another thing, very close to home. And... At this exchange, her brother, who you guys will hear a lot in this case, Alex Cox, went with Lori. And like I said, it's her brother. She has Alex and I think Adam is the other brother's name. Alex went with her and he told her he was going to go and talk to Joe. And after they exchanged um, Tylee, 
he went by himself with Joe and told him he needed to talk to him, which ended in Joe getting out a taser and tased Joseph right there in the parking lot. Not just once, but several times until a passerby had to break it up. And Alex claims that he was intentionally wanting to kill Joe. He said he wanted to kill him. Um, so he did plead guilty to aggravated assault um, and spent 90 days in jail. Now insert the fourth husband. In 2006, Lori married her fourth husband, Leland Charles Anthony Vallow, who went by Charles. They married in Las Vegas in February of 2006. You'll kind of see a uh, pattern with Lori in Hawaii. Um, she married her last husband, Joe, in Hawaii, and she marries a future husband in Hawaii as well as some other things. Lori and Charles adopted Joshua Jackson, J.J. Vallow. Charles had been married in the past and had two sons in his previous marriage, and his ex-wife actually said he was a great dad. He was always there for his kids, even when he married Lori. Um, Lori and Charles very vibed very well together when it came to their parenting because they were stated as being very fun parents, very energetic, always doing things with their kids, spending time with their kids. They put their kids first, which is very shocking for future events. This is where it's important to say that Charles was actually Catholic, but for Lori, he converted into the Mormon church because it was a very big deal for Lori. Something that I feel like is not said a lot in this whole case is the fact that there was a lot of weird things going on during Charles and Lori's relationship. And like I said, he has two kids with his ex-wife, Cheryl. And Cheryl said within a year into Lori and Charles's uh, marriage, she started like noticing a lot of things being very strange. It ended up being a whole court ordeal. And we don't really know much that went on or I haven't really found much on it. If you know more, please let me know and I'll update everyone in the blog post. But um, it went as far as to... The court pretty much put cameras in Lori and Charles' house to monitor and make sure that the kids were safe, which I find very strange. Mind you, his two sons are still like minors that are, you know, joint custody between Charles and Cheryl. So she wanted what was best for her kids. And you might be thinking, like back then, you would be thinking, oh, she's just like, you know, the ex who's trying to make things complicated and stuff, but she said she really wasn't. She was like very nervous about her kids and she thought that Lori was very unstable and just, I don't know, she really put her off. And now we see why. So all of this ended into court hearings for custody. And it was Lori at this time with Joe doing the custody hearings for Tylee and it was Charles and Cheryl doing custody hearings for their two sons that they shared together. And it got so crazy and dramatic and to the point to where they intertwined so much that the judge was like, look, you guys, all four of you guys are involved. We're just going to put this into one thing. So their court hearings became a joint thing on two different kids and two different past marriages, which is insane to think about. 
I don't know if it just became too much for Charles to handle, but he finally announced that they were up and they were moving to Arizona, which I guess Lori was okay with. So they moved to Arizona, and at this point, Cheryl's kind of out of the picture more, and he gets his sons for, you know, maybe some holidays here and there, some summer visits, but it's not the whole joint and, like, you know, arguing the custody battle, anything like that anymore because they are gone. So Cheryl's probably thinking, thank God I don't have to deal with this anymore. And this is where we have JJ back in the picture. Like I said, Joshua Jackson Vallow, who goes by JJ. He was born in 2014. And I've seen somewhere where it was the biological grandson of Charles's sister, Kay Woodcock. But I've also seen somewhere where Kay, who is Charles's sister, had another brother, and that brother got someone pregnant that had a drug problem. So Kay and her husband, Larry, I know it's a lot of names, but Kay and her husband took the baby in, and it was just a lot for them and their lifestyle. So Lori and Charles being married for a little while, they kind of wanted to have a kid of their own, but they never did. So they took him in, and it was in the family, so... Colby and Tylee and the other boys, you know, they were very fond of JJ and he was this little bitty baby and he grew a part of the family and everyone was super fond of him very fast. So they decided to adopt him. JJ did have special needs, but everyone stated how well Lori was with her kids. She made sure that those needs were met. He had to be on medication He couldn't sleep well at night, so they got him a service dog to comfort him and to help take care of him, which really did work. It comforted him. He was able to sleep at night. He loved this dog. Now Hawaii is coming back into um, the picture when Charles and Lori moved to the Hawaiian island of Kauai in 2014. They opened up a small juice place. And so they ran that. And besides that, Charles was a youth pastor or a youth leader for a LDS church there. And it was here that Lori met April, who became a very good friend of hers. And they hit it off. They were, they got along really great. They had kids around the same age. Everything seemed great. But it was here in Hawaii, Hawaii, that Lori started to fall into the books, and all of the stories surrounding Chad Daybell. But not only was she just really liking the reading and the author, but she became obsessed. And that is what Charles and April both say. She was obsessed with any books written by Chad Daybell, and she was especially intrigued by Chad's fictional series called Standing in Holy Places, which centered around an apocalyptic scenario or scenarios that were based on a Mormon theology. April stated the books that she got really obsessed with and she started buying the books for April too. She must have gotten close to him from his books because as you would know it, this is when the whole Chad Dayball starts coming in before the actual person himself comes into the picture. It's like a very strange manifestation, like you hear those stories about people like manifesting like really 
awesome things into their life and then like it happening and stuff like that and even something that I've been wanting to dig deeper into but this is like such a weird cringy one where she's really like manifesting like having this man that she's obsessed with into her life and then eventually he's there. The family eventually moved to Arizona again, so I guess they moved back to Arizona between 2016 and 2017. Chad is called a doomsday writer, so we're going to talk about him for a second. He is all about the end of the world, and he has very out there stories that blow me away, and I'm sure are going to blow you guys away too. This group that he was a part of, some refer to as a Preparing a people, and some people even call it a cult, and a cult with cult believings, and it it kind of makes sense. I mean, I'm not gonna like you know really discriminate against anybody or you know call anybody a freak or anything like that, but it, it it's very cult like to me as well. Around this time that they moved back to Arizona, or right before this time, is also when Colby actually got married. So he's much older now. Um, like I said, we're in 2016, 2017. So he's older, he gets married, and there's just this strange tension between him and his mom. He claims like it was almost like a jealousy type of situation. Don't know if it was more of like a... It's her baby. He's grown up and married. Maybe it's like the whole in-law, like not really getting along with the new woman. You never know. But also around this time when they move back to Arizona is also where the Labradoodle comes into the mix when they get JJ, the service dog that I talked about earlier. And this is where people are still saying that she's an incredible mom who is making sure all their needs are met and really making sure that they're comfortable, especially since they literally move like... I mean, I've moved. I literally, growing up, I moved houses every single year. We rented, we moved everywhere, but we stayed literally in the same state where these people literally move state to state to state. It, it It's very tiring to even read about. So it's at this point that Lori decides that pretty much Charles isn't going to be the one for her. There's a lot of tension in their relationship. He's trying to make it work with her. He loves her. He works really hard to where they're comfortable. She doesn't work. Um, he's just trying to make the peace with things. And no marriage is perfect. Let me just say that. But he's trying to make things work and she's just not really feeling it. She says that Charles isn't the same level of spiritual as she is. And she wants somebody who is just as religious and spiritual as she is to be a partner with. So now that they're back in Arizona, she starts making these trips out of town and it is assumed around this time in 2018 is where she starts going to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and she attends these evening classes where, you would know it, she meets Chad Daybell. He is teaching these classes. They meet... They become really close. They start actually traveling together to religious conferences in St. George, Utah, where Chad is, you know, talking about his books. And then they're speaking on podcasts together about the end times and or what's to come. And it, it's some very disturbing stuff. Let me just say that too. I don't even like talking about end times. I would say that, yes, I am like religious when it comes to me having faith and believing in God, but the end times and what people kind of try to put in your head on different things, I'm like not about. Like it's just not a subject I like talking on. 
So theirs is like very intense. They talk of like this end of the world that's very, very soon and everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. And again, with the whole Mormon thing that only a certain amount of people are even allowed in, which I think is like, I mean, don't come for me, but I do think it's a little ridiculous. When she actually met Chad Abel, it was for a, a pairing of people uh, conference where she took her niece Melanie to. Melanie's going to come into this story as well. And like I said, they hit it off and just started spending a lot of time together. So from Chad's side, he said that when he met Lori, it was like she was an angel sent to him from up above and that she was a translated being and he automatically seen it. And we will get more into a translated being in a moment. But back into a pairing of people, they state that 144,000 saints are going to be able to pass over or cross over this line at the end of the world, which is happening in July 2020. <laughs> Apparently, the end of the world has already happened, guys. But just to keep that in mind of the uh, people we're dealing with here. On top of that, there is all of these extra things like translated beings and apparently Chad Daybell had this mysterious thing about him where he could rate people on their light and darkness. And in July of 2018, Lori had actually asked him to rate her family. And this was all through email, by the way, guys. So he emails her back a list of her family and close, like, friends or whatever with their number of, like, their darkness or lightness. I, I don't know, guys. I did not want to spend a lot of time on this. Um, uh, useless knowledge that I'm never going to use in life. <laughs> but long story short, uh, Chad apparently had two near-death experiences, which has, like, opened this veil to where he can see people's light and darkness. And on this family history information that he had sent, he said the current numbers on Earth at this time of each estate level, these totals represent the light spirits, the dark has equal numbers. So pretty much has them ranked from males and females. You definitely see that the women have like these lower numbers when it comes to... Um, their light and higher when it comes to their dark meaning like this is another religion where like men are like the top dogs here he says most lds members are level two most bishops and ward leaders are level three most stake presidents and general authorities are level four most apostles are level five a few are level six the dark side can only match the light numbers not exceed them that is why there are few fives on the earth right now it limits the dark power twos and threes are fluid and can change sides during earth life 4.1 and above have made covenants to their side they rarely switch sides I'm going to, if you want to look into more of this, I will have it linked in the blog for today. I always have it linked down below for you, but it, it's kind of disturbing because then there's the list, which I will also include for you, um, where he pretty much has her family members and it goes as far as like her parents' name and um, maybe her, if she has a sister, um, but there's also like her brothers, like Alec Cox is too light um, Adam Cox was three light, um, just different people. But then he says 
he has first husband, 2L, which is two light, so level two light. Um, second husband, William, was two dark. Son, Colby Ryan, is three uh, light. And then Colby's wife, I'm assuming, he marks as three dark. Third husband, Joseph Ryan, 4.3 dark, is now sealed away. Um, because we'll get to that in a minute. Daughter, Tylee Ryan, is 4.1 dark, about her own child. Fourth husband, Charles Vallow, is 3 light. First wife, his first wife, yeah, includes his first wife and his kids with her. He says his first wife is 2 dark. And then his two sons, one of them is 3 dark, the other one is 3 light. And then JJ, he has 4.2 light. He also includes her niece, Melanie, as a three light and her husband, Brandon, as three dark. Even includes their kids, their four kids. Both boys are three light. The older girl is three light and the younger girl is 4.1 light. It's just very disturbing. Again, I'll have it on the blog because I don't really want to touch much more on it. I just feel like it's very disturbing and weird and doesn't really make I guess shouldn't be like really focused on obviously it's like one of the main parts of this case but it's still just like I feel awkward because a lot of these people are still living not all of them but a lot of them are still living so it's like very awkward to like talk about them and how somebody viewed their light or darkness but what you can see from this list are these are the people that are very present in her life that she would have probably talked to Chad about. He would know how she is feeling about them. And so it kind of like it, you kind of see like the pattern go along about the people that she didn't like and how they have these dark numbers. So it kind of adds up. But again, it's like you probably have already confided to him about these people and then he's just ranking them and obviously ranks the women as like more dark than like the men. It's just, uh. But back to Joe, who was sealed away in this, is the fact that Joseph died of a heart attack in the year that we currently are talking about, 2018, and he was soon after cremated. Now, you might be thinking, is there a connection with Alex? I mean, this is the guy that Alex tasered over and over again who said that he would kill Joseph. Joseph's body wasn't even found until a neighbor dog close by detected a foul smell. They called the next of kin to let them know that he was dead, who was Lori because she had Kylie, Joe's daughter. Lori was now in charge to call all of his family and let them know, but instead she didn't, claiming the world was a better place without him. And whether that's true, whether she believed the allegations towards him or whatever the case may be, she did have a daughter with him, so it's pretty messed up. She didn't even call his sister Annie, who at one point she had been friends with in the past and pretty much family with. And five weeks later, no one had claimed him, so it was ruled a heart attack and he was cremated. Now, as the case has progressed, and you guys will see as we go on another little future note, is the FBI is now investigating this death as well. Lori did go on to collect his life insurance, and finally when Annie found out what had happened, obviously she was devastated that she didn't know her own brother had died and that Lori had kept this from her. She wasn't even able to see him or have any of that closure there, and all she got was her brother's ashes pretty much. 
Annie did go to see Ty Lee in Arizona, and she's seen while she was there that Lori was very different. She's seen the person that Lori had become and how Lori was telling Ty Lee not to mourn her father. And she also stated that there was a lot of tension between Ty Lee and Lori, obviously, because apparently Ty Lee is four point something in the darkness. Annie said Lori talked nonstop about the end times and about the LDS whole shenanigans and how she wanted sometimes to just put her kids in the car and drive off of a cliff yeah and speaking of tylee's dark number as you guys can see from the you know little list that chad had sent to Lori, um if you're a four point in the dark or or light you have made a covenant with that side. So they said, or he said that if you're a two or a three ranked, because he knows that their ranks are these, then sometimes those people will or could switch sides. So if they're light, they could go dark. If they're dark, they could go light. Again, like I said, I don't want to ramble about this for too long, but I just wanted to state it because Annie stated that there was tension between Lori and Tylee, and then Tylee is rated a four point something, which in Chad's book means that she is in the dark to stay, like she has made a pack in the darkness. You'll need that for future reference. And now we're in 2019, and Charles Vallow, Lori's current husband, is terrified for his life and is filing for divorce. Court documents suggest that things began to unravel for the family early in 2019. When Lori was still married to Charles, the couple were estranged and, and Charles filed for divorce. He said that he feared that she would kill him and that she had developed cult-like beliefs. Charles alleged that Lori claimed to be a god assigned to carry out the work of the 144,000 at Christ's second coming in July 2020. He also said she threatened to kill him if he got into her way and that some angels of death would come and help her since she was a translated human being that couldn't taste death. Kay, who we've mentioned before, is Charles' sister, said that her brother was terrified. He filed for divorce in February and tried to get Lori into a 72-hour mental health hold from the things that she was saying. Um, and because of the fact that she took $35,000 from their joint account, but this whole health mental hold thing was unsuccessful. Lori had custody of the two kids still living at home, 17-year-old Tylee and 7-year-old JJ. Kay stated that the last two years of joining this cult has changed her completely and that she, quote, is a monster. The stories are out there. Lori has told Charles that she has lived numerous of lives. One of the lives was Mary French, which was the granddaughter of one of the LDS church founders. And on top of that, Chad told Lori that Charles was no longer Charles, but a demon dark spirit that had taken over Charles's body named Nick Schneider. Lori actually started calling Charles Nick Schneider, stating that that was his name of the person who took over Charles's body and Charles was no longer there. Literally telling Charles that he was no longer there and that he was now Nick Schneider. Nick had apparently killed Charles and stolen his identity. And can you now kind of see where Charles feared for his own life? Charles being stuck trying to live the life and be a good dad while also having a crazy wife that he knew no one would believe him if he came forward because of what she was saying. Like, he felt, like, embarrassed and, like, I can't go forward and tell people this shit. Nobody's going to believe me. They're going to think I'm crazy. They'll probably put me on a hold. Um, but he would call his sister and his brother-in-law sobbing a lot. And 
Around this time, Lori actually took a trip to Hawaii, back to Kauai, um, to see her friend April. While she was there, she told her that Charles was having an affair and was running around on her. And April was very confused about it. I mean, I'm sure she was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm here for you. You're my friend. But she said it sounded very strange and everything Lori said did not make sense. She also said that her friend Lori seemed completely different and it was very scary especially when Lori got into everything that I've been explaining to you guys about these dark and light lights and, or this, the lights and the darks and, you know, all the things in between. And April being from a Mormon family and a Mormon religion was like, this is nothing like what Mormonism is about. And that's where I do want to state, like, if you are a Mormon, I am not calling out any Mormon here. Just going off of keynotes that I have gathered from this case, um, I, I honestly don't think that this is like a typical religion and that's why I've said I feel like this is very cult-like. So I'm never saying that this is what Mormon church is like. This is a very strange group of people, which in terms kind of is like a cult uh, and to me too. But yeah, so pretty much she says, I'm in you know, I'm here in Hawaii to tell you that you're one of the 144,000 people chosen for this. And April's like, oh, no, no, I'm not coming back with you. She's like, well, you need to come join us. And she's like, no, <laughs> I don't really blame her. April also stated the things that Lori was doing to Charles, who she now calls Nick Schneider. She said that Charles had a like meeting or work thing away and had to take a flight and so she actually got on there as like his wife still and canceled his flight back home not only that but after charles had to figure all of that out and get a flight back home when he got there she had drove to the airport and took his truck so he had no way of getting home then when he finally did get home all of his clothes and things were gone this was also around the time where she took the $35,000 and then she went to Hawaii to see her friend. And she told April about all of this with a smug look on her face like she was satisfied with herself. And she also was sending Charles messages saying, you know, if you try to stop me, I'm going to kill you, threatening his life. So April did really shed light on like what was going on around this time. What I didn't say before was that she was in Hawaii for two months with Tylee and she left JJ behind with Charles. And when she came back to her house, she found Charles packing up and leaving and his sister Kay was there helping. And she got her phone out and started like recording him. I guess she thought he was going to start getting like really mean, violent, but he didn't. He started crying. He also discovered this email that Lori had sent to Chad pretending to be Charles on June 29th, 2019. Let me read this. So from Charles Vallow, he sent this to Lori's brother, Adam. So not Alex, but Adam. Um, and it says the subject is Chad letter from Lori. And he says, Adam, open this letter and see what she did. I'm not sure if the relationship with her and Chad Daybell or what it is, but they are up to something. She created an email allies for me as I've never set this one up. She sent this yesterday and I guess she forgot all of her emails are on the computer at my house. I asked her to explain it and she started blaming you, Brandon, and me for perpetrating a scheme against her. 
Just more of her paranoia. She will not explain it. I am going to send it to Chad Dable's wife. Her name is Tammy, and I found her email address on their website. I've got her cell number too. Sounds very suspicious to me. What do you think? Whenever she gets caught doing this kind of stuff, she starts blaming everybody else, mostly me, you, and Brandon. Brandon and I are the victims of her craziness. I wish you luck trying to help her. I was the only one brave enough to try to get her help in January, and look what happened to me. The whole family put a scarlet letter on me. Maybe now you can see what they are up against. Thanks. So, obviously, um, this is a letter to her brother because Charles and her are separated at this point. This is in June, and you know, he filed for divorce in February. So we're now in June of 2019. So last year. So this is the actual email that Lori typed to Chad Daybell pretending to be Charles Vallow. And it says, hello, Chad. I hope you're doing well. This is Charles Vallow from Arizona. We really enjoyed having you stay with us back in November when you came to the Preparing a People conference. So I guess this is kind of admitting that Charles did let Chad, I guess, stay in his house and stay like in the guest room. You guys will see. The letter continues. I appreciated you taking the time to talk to me about the book I've been working on. Well, more than six months later, I still haven't made much progress on it, but I feel an urgency to get it done. As the managing partner of Right Planning Group, I am going to have the opportunity to speak at various conventions beginning in the fall, but everyone says I need to have a book available that summarizes my life and shares the principles I follow. So I will cut it to the chase. I am willing to pay you well to help me get this book into shape as my ghostwriter. I really liked your autobiography and the tone you took in sharing experiences without preaching. Is there any way you could come here for a couple of days to help me get the book underway? I feel talking in person would be much more valuable than a phone call or video chat, mainly because I would like you to read through some of my journals and explain to me how the publishing industry works. It would help me know whether I have a book in me and whether you would want to team up on it. I played minor league baseball and have plenty of stories that my audience would relate to along with the knowledge I've gained running my own company. So I do feel the book would contain valuable information even beyond the convention circuit. I'm out of town until Saturday, but I would gladly fly you down here early next week before the holiday and cover your expenses. You could stay in our guest room like before or in a hotel if you prefer. I hate to take you away from your family, but I know this book is vital to my speaking success. I understand if you don't want to take part of the project, but I would definitely make it worth your time with admiration, Charles. And I don't know if this was like maybe like a little thing to like frame him as in being friends with Chad or what the case may be or looking up to Chad. I don't really know. But obviously Charles, the real Charles is like, holy, holy shit. Like what's going on here? Like I didn't even type this. Why is she pretending to be me to somebody as Chad that already knows her and already is close to her. So it's it's very weird, but he was very concerned and sent it to her brother, Adam. I guess Adam has a little bit more of a head on than Alex does. Lori was still behind the scenes messing with things like Charles's life insurance and trying to still be the person on there. And Charles, I guess, did find out about it. And he called them and said, hey, I want to take her off of this and put my sister on as, you know, the person in charge of that. And there apparently was like a password change that Lori had done on her end. He went as far as to make an email stating to his insurance company, I have been locked out with a new password by my soon-to-be ex-wife. And I want to state here that if anything happens to me before this is fixed, 
my sister is the main person who will, you know, receive my life insurance. That That is so sad to think about. Like he was thinking that, that something could possibly happen to him. He stated that if it went to his sister, she would use it to take care of JJ and he didn't want a penny of it to go to Lori or her family. And so Lori was removed, but Lori did not know this. Either way of how she got this done, because obviously he would have had to call himself. So either she got Chad to do it, or maybe her brother Alex, because he's pretty shady, we know that, um, call and give all the details that she would know about Charles to buy her some time. It all just adds up to really show you how Charles was feeling and knowing with the whole life insurance policy, like the password being changed, kind of buying Lori some time. And that is where the events of July 11th of 2019 have unraveled in a suburb in Phoenix, Arizona, where Lori was staying. Her brother Alex was there when Charles had showed up to pick up JJ and a couple other things. Once leaving, he had JJ in the car when he realized he did not have his phone. So he went back into Lori's house and she was snooping through it and would not give it back to him. It broke out into an argument. He was pissed off, obviously, just wanted his phone. He wanted to leave. Um, Kylie was in her room at the time when she heard the commotion and she came out of her room apparently with a baseball bat, which Charles took from her and apparently, allegedly hit Alex over the head with and in return he grabbed his gun and shot it. This is apparently what happened. Lori was just pulling back into the driveway with Tylee. They had just dropped uh, JJ off at school and he had just heard like the gunshots from outside but apparently Tylee was in the house when it happened. There, I've heard so many different scenarios of this story that I'm not really sure at this point of what is true or if this is the accurate one. All I can say is that no charges were made. They ruled it as self-defense, even though some of the and like pe the police that were there, investigators on this, said that the cut on the back of Alex's head wasn't cohesive with um, a blunt force trauma, like with a baseball bat. So it was very strange um, that that is what went down, especially since uh, Charles, like we seen in his email, uh, his not his email that he actually typed, but that Lori wrote about him that he was in a minor league baseball. So mm, it's it's a little fishy. And also, can we state the fact that this wasn't the first run-in that Alex had with one of Lori's husbands? Um, I mean, he tased the shit out of Joseph and then Joseph ended up dying and wasn't found for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, his body was cremated because Lori didn't report it. So it's just, it's all so, so sketchy and fishy. My mind just can't wrap around the fact that it was ruled as self-defense, especially when it has been also stated that when the police were there, it was only Alex. And Alex had said that the kids and Lori wasn't there. So I guess the original story of, you know, Alex kind of made it seem like it was just him and Lori in the house and the kids were out in the car and that, that Charles came after him with a baseball bat and he shot him out of self-defense, showed this little mark that he had on the back of his head. And then Lori pulled up into the driveway with just Tylee in the car after taking JJ to school and was all like, oh no, we were here. The kids were there. So the story just changed so many times. I've heard the story 
a few different times I, that I just can't wrap my head around this just being ruled a self-defense. It literally blows my mind, especially coming from all of Charles' family who are just like, he wasn't a violent person. He would have done this and this and this. And apparently, Tylee didn't really say much on it. I'm sure she was coached in that car to not say anything. The police still ruled it as, at the time, as just a self-defense thing, even though they said everybody acted very bizarre. They said Lori was very happy, chatty. Um, Tylee kind of just kept to herself, was very quiet about it, just saying that she was sorry that it wasn't a good idea to grab a baseball bat, kind of like she was coached and going along with it. It's very strange. Lori then calls her son Colby when he's at work and tells him that Charles is dead and, you know, he really loved Charles, so he's very, very upset and hurt by this news. And Lori's just like, chatty Kathy, like, it's just no big deal, like, well, he's gone still worried about how they were handling it, so he drove to their house. And he said when he opened the door, Tylee went to him crying and was very, very upset about it. But when he went out to the pool where Lori was at, she was on the phone with somebody and then she told him the whole story of what happened. Again, being Chatty Kathy and just like whatever about the whole situation, he said he felt very uneasy, was like kicking himself that he even went to her house in the first place and left and has always felt uneasy about the whole situation. Not just that, but Lori texted his two other kids that he had in his previous marriage with Cheryl, you guys remember? She texts them, hi boys, I have some very sad news. Your dad died yesterday morning. I will keep you guys informed on the arrangements. Literally via text. Oh, but she wanted to mention at the end, just want you to know your dad loved you. I love you and I'm here for you. Thank you. Not even the fact that her own brother shot and killed him. It wasn't like he just like passed away in his sleep like we will see from another person in this whole story. But just so casual about it. Like it's just an everyday occurrence. And I get like it is. But this was still a man that was not that old and thriving and had kids. And I mean, JJ was seven years old and I know he was adopted, but it was still like, I, I just can't wrap my head around her just casualness. Have to remember, it wasn't really their dad, it was Nick Schneider. These poor boys, though, they tried calling her, they tried texting her, asking her more questions. She wasn't really letting a lot of things slip. They had to find out through news articles what had happened to their father. And like many, they were shocked. And so was his ex wife, Cheryl, who said he was never angry, he never raised a hand, he never barely raised his voice. Like he was not a violent person. And like many, they believe that it was all planned. It was plotted out to get his life insurance money, which, funny, not funny, um, she didn't get because he had actually emailed them and they had changed it all without her knowing. So Lori finds out that she's not getting a, a penny of this life insurance and she's mad and she actually sends like the screenshot of finding out, I guess, like to his sister who is like the person is like really raged and mad about it. But at this point, she decides it's time to move and she calls her son Colby and she says, I'm moving somewhere cold. I can't tell you about it right now, but we are moving. At this point, Colby says in the Dateline special that he was relieved that his mom was leaving. He was sad and devastated that he was losing his little brother and sister, and he just wanted what was best for them, but he was very relieved to see her leave, even if he didn't know where it was at. And guys, I'm going to wrap up the part here. I wanted to get a little bit further, but this part has literally everything that could go wrong has went wrong today, and I just 
I think it would be best if I ended it here and take a breather and then come back to this at a fresh point, fresh time <laughs> where I'm just not so all over the place today with my notes. And I'm really hoping that I can get this up and edited for you or edited and up for you guys. Yeah, I can't even like put my words together really good this week. Bear with me. It has been, I, I don't know if I've really expressed it, but it's been a very trying time lately. I really do appreciate your guys' love and support so much. Um, every listen means the world to me. Every download of this means the world to me. If you guys don't care, please check out today's blog post on this. I will link some of the things there that I discussed from this case. Um, also, make sure you follow me and support on Instagram at Caffeine Crime Podcast. I always post when a new episode is up. And... Again, every episode listen and download means the world to me. If you could leave a review or rating on whatever platform you're on, that would be great. And also, if you want to help out even more, I do have a link down below of where you can help support this podcast. And again, it all means so much to me. Thank you guys for listening today, but I will be back next week with part two. And I think it will be an only two-parter. I think I can get through the rest in the next part for you guys, but it is a super long case. So I wanted to really dive deep, but get all the info out there in a good two-parter. I will see you guys next week with season three, episode nine, part two of the whole Lori Vallow, Chad Dayball fiasco.